everyone, I'm Jim Santos, and this is the International Living Podcast. In this podcast series, we introduce you to a bigger world full of communities that are safe, welcoming, beautiful, and sometimes undiscovered. A better world, too. A friendly, warm, great value world where you can live richer, travel more, invest for profit, and enjoy a better life. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the International Living Podcast. Today, we'll be looking at a country that generally doesn't get a lot of attention from potential expats, the island nation of Japan, which is pretty interesting because a quick check on the internet shows that in 2022, Japan reported having over 3 million foreign nationals living there, over 2% of their population. Our guest today, Greg Goodmacher, is one of them. He and his wife have been living and working in Japan for quite a while now. He's the author of Roasted Barnacles and Healing Baths in Rural Niigata, Japan, an article that you can find in the September 2023 issue of International Living Magazine, and he joins us here today. Greg, welcome to the International Living Podcast. Oh, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. This is one of the biggest time differences that we've had, I think, uh, coming up. I'm talking to someone in Australia, too. It might be a bit longer, but I do appreciate you staying up late to, uh, to talk with us today. Oh, no problem. It's not that late, and I'm a little bit of a night bird. Uh, so, Greg, how about a little background on yourself? Uh, where are you from, and how did you end up in Japan? Okay. Um, I was born in New York, but I grew up in San Francisco, and uh, my master's was in teaching language. Sorry, teaching English as a second or foreign language, and right. While I was working on that, I went to Thailand and I worked in the United States Peace Corps as a volunteer in, in a remote village of Thailand. And then I went back to the US and finished my master's degree program. From there, I went to Korea. I wasn't very crazy about South Korea. The particular job I had was not so good. So I sent up mm -hmm. my resumes around the world and I most of my really positive responses were from Japan. And uh I decided to take some of the, have some of the interviews. I did well, was offered a couple of positions, and I stayed with the intention of only being about two years and then going mm -hmm. somewhere else. But like many of the uh, expats here, um, I ended up staying much longer. When did you first come to Japan? Well, that was 1993. <laughs> and you've been there since? Yes, except for a short time when I, I left to and I lived and taught in Abu Dhabi. So almost 30 years. I think that's a record for living overseas for people we've talked to on the show. Now, the article um, that you wrote that we were talking about here in International Living was about uh, Niigata, Japan. Uh, I understand since then you've moved on to another location in Japan, uh, but you brought up a lot of interesting things in that article, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about that first oh certainly no problem i'm very excited about niigata it was a really good place to be for 12 and a half years i looked up niigata it's a fairly large city about eight hundred thousand people but from the tone of your article it sounded like you were maybe in a more suburban area oh yeah i was in um, a little area which was incorporated into niigata city so niigata city has grown over the years it was uh originally a smaller city and then many little cities sort of joined it and so the area that i was in is a place called 
was called Toyosaka. Toyosaka joined Niigata not too many years ago. And it's a little bit of a suburb. My house was maybe 20 minutes by bicycle from the ocean, about 25 minutes by train from downtown Niigata City, and uh, about a 20-minute drive into the high mountains. It's a very good location. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, how did you uh, end up there? Is that just where your first assignment was? Uh, no, actually, I've lived in five. I lived in five different locations now, six of Japan. Um, mm-hmm. I keep. I was just sort of moving up, getting a better job, and I also, previous to Niigata, I lived in Oita, which is also a wonderful place. But I do love winter, winter sports, and. Oita does not get very cold. There's no snow, no ski resorts. So I searched for a position that would be meaningful and allow me to enjoy winter sports. And that's how I ended up in Niigata. Now, it sounds like a really charming area. You, you talk about uh, festivals there and uh, the community really gathering together and helping each other, uh, passing out uh, produce from their own gardens. Uh, has it always been like that for you? Were you accepted right away as a as a foreign national? Um, I found in every place that I've been in Japan, I found pretty quickly I made friends. A lot of people would help me, help me get settled. So it's, it is a very nice place. I, I imagine for most uh, expats or people thinking about even just travel in general, the biggest uh, difficulty they might imagine would be with the language. More than 30 years there, I assume you've picked up a little bit of Japanese? Yeah, I'd say I'm uh, intermediate level. I wish I were higher, but a lot of my job has been speaking English, teaching English, writing in English. So um, there are days, actually, unfortunately, when I haven't used my Japanese, but um, I'd say I'm intermediate level. I I think where expats have the most problems abroad are in grocery stores. Uh, How's your your shopping uh, Japanese? You know, it's not necessary to speak Japanese when shopping. I mean, everything is right really? there in front of you. Um, there's not much bargaining. You know, prices are listed. And, uh, yeah, you don't really need to use Japanese unless you're, you know, specifically looking for something and you can't find it. But even then, there's there's so many people who studied English that even if they can't speak English well, they will recognize, often recognize and understand a word that you say. And, right. you know, for example, say, um, let's just say I, I want scallops, you know, and I, I don't know the word for scallops, and but somebody's probably going to find scallop, understand that, and they might, will take mm-hmm. by the hand almost um, and show me. That's so many times that people lead me directly to where I want to go, go or what I need even if those people have to go out of their way. Yeah, I think it's surprising to a lot of Americans how uh, how friendly people are in other countries. Uh, always assume they're going to be treated badly or, or poorly, but that really hasn't been our experience anywhere we've traveled. Yeah, I've been traveled. I'm sorry, I've been treated very well in most places I've been. Uh, you mentioned a, a concept in your article there. Um, see if I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, ikigi or ikigai? Ikigai. Ikigai. Uh, how how would you describe the ikigai? Um, it's sort of like someone's 
purpose in life, their main joy. There's there's one uh, big. I think there's a big uh, difference in in between uh, Americans and Japanese, and one difference is that Japanese tend to have. Now this is a generality. Um, have one really deep. They get really deep into a into a, a hobby, and they focus very deeply on it. And whereas mm-hmm. lots of Americans will have many hobbies, I, mean, I have so many hobbies. I'm not really good at any of them. Right. <laughs> but the Japanese tend to get into deeply into one thing, and they master it, and it's become sort of their uh, reason to get up in the morning. And what did you find as your uh, uh, ikigai? Um, well, I'd say uh, I really like uh, writing. It's writing about Japan. And uh, I actually, I have a couple <laughs> in a way. One is the writing about Japan and hot springs and trying to bring people, my students, into caring, to, into try to touch them um, in terms of nature and environmental protection. Yeah, I saw, uh, it's kind of interesting that you did some volunteer work with bears. That was one of the greatest volunteer experiences of my life. There's an area called Karuizawa. It's um, famous in Japan. John Lennon used to stay there when he was alive and visiting Japan. It's an area, it's really countryside, but uh, it's a little bit affluent. So you have a lot of uh, rich people from various parts of Japan having their second homes there. Beautiful waterfalls, still some natural mountains in addition to mono forests. And the bears are still fairly plentiful there. And uh, there's one organization, the Pikyo uh, organization, that works to try and protect animals um, and introduce ecotourism as a way to save them. And they have a bear conservation team, which works to reduce bear and human interactions, teach people what to do so there's no, so they're not going to be attacked by a bear or. get scared by the bear and then which often leads to the death of a bear and these are black bears correct yes do you know if they're similar to the black bears in uh in the u.s actually the japanese bears on the main island of honshu which is what i'm talking about are pretty small um they only mm, okay. they might get up to maybe 200 250 pounds perhaps at the most and, but they're still very strong, of course. Yeah, I was going to say that's still a good size animal to come charging out of the bush at you. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, the bears are have a lot of threats, and especially now with climate change, um, the summer's getting hotter, so there are fewer nuts, and the trees aren't producing as many berries, and so on. So there's less food, so that some of them are moving down mm-hmm. to areas where second homes are or farms farms now on the edge of the on the edge of the so-called wilderness they 
often are visited by wild boar. The boar population and the deer population has exploded. So a lot of farmers are putting out snare traps to catch the bears and the, the deer. But unfortunately, the bears get caught in those too. Right. And then the farmer comes along like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? i got a bear hair. So they, they call Picchio, and the Picchio experts come. They tranquilize it, do some research, uh, maybe put a radio collar on it, and take it way up into the mountains and release it. That's the usual pattern. Yeah, I guess that's quite a surprise to come out in your garden and find a bear there. Yeah. Not like you can just go up and apologize and <laughs> set them free. <laughs> Uh, now you mentioned some interesting food choices uh, too in your article there. Uh, apple stuffed with scallops, oh, roasted was... barnacles, yeah, a sliced cu sea cucumber, and ice cream. Oh yeah, that that was amazing. That was really good. That's those um, are some of the things I've eaten in Aomori Prefecture, which is at the very northern tip of Honshu, the main island. Mm -hmm. It's the closest one to Hokkaido, and they have a really wild selection of food there's surrounded yep. on three sides by ocean so there's all sorts of seafood products uh still a lot of mount mountains which are fairly untouched in many areas so there's a lot of wild game and that's really quite a beautiful place so have you found that your uh, diet has evolved over the the years that you've been in japan are you you're on a more japanese diet or a more western diet I am actually on sort of a Mediterranean diet. Um, I married really? a, a Japanese woman, and she is a gourmet cook, and she actually prefers um, Mediterranean food. That's what she tends to cook the most. <laughs> but when I go out to restaurants, I like to eat Japanese. And, I mean, there's every. it depends where you are. The big cities have everything, and the food is right. fantastic. As Many, as many um, media reports about Japan often report, there are more Michelin starred restaurants in Tokyo than there are actually in Paris. I think that is connected to the Japanese habit of getting really deeply into one thing. So, could be that ikigai. Yeah. yeah. So, you get these people from, it's amazing. You might travel somewhere, some little tiny town, and then you'll meet somebody who's like, oh, I studied making pizza for five years and, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere of Italy or someone else in Thailand for 10 years and, and has a Thai restaurant in, in the middle of nowhere, Japan. Yeah, I suppose that is kind of ingrained in the culture, uh, even when you look at things like um, as old as the tea ceremonies, where the idea is to be very meticulous in your detail and everything you know, done exactly a certain way. Yeah, that's... So I can see where that, that would have benefits when the, uh, in just about anything that you apply that to. That's very true. I agree with you. And I did, speaking of the tea ceremony, I really love Japanese green tea, especially matcha. Mm -hmm. And the tea ceremonies are really wonderful. I'll never forget one particular... Let me tell you a quick story. Um... I went to a really incredible festival. It was in winter. It was in a Tokamachi snow festival. And in the Tokonami snow festival, the people create gigantic buildings and art, works of art out of snow. 
And in one area, they made a Japanese tea garden, all created from snow, and their tea benches. And so we're sitting there in minus freezing temperatures, and these people are coming out. They're serving hot tea, wearing beautiful kimonos. There is also famous for kimono making. And it it was just Mm -hmm. a wonderful memory. Yeah, now, going from the extreme cold to the extreme heat, uh, you also wrote about the onsen of hot spring baths. Yes. And uh, I noticed your uh, your blog is also, uh, I believe it's hotspringaddict.blogspot.jp. Yes. I am addicted yeah. to Japanese hot springs. They're the best thing in life for me. When, I, when I'm stressed, um, they just, just melt my stress away. Well, walk us through that. Uh, what's it like? Is is not you just don't go hop into hot water, right? Is there a a, a process or a, a ritual almost to go through to get into the hot springs? Uh, yes, anyway. The no, there's no uh, shampoo, there's no soap in the bath at the hot spring. People wash their bodies first before going into the hot spring, so everybody's clean and the water stays clean. And depending on where you are, um, people are often very, some places people are very, very quiet, just relaxing and getting to your own uh, zone, so to speak, is the thing. But there are other hot springs where people are very, very social and they chat, and, you know, you might make friends and people. And it's, it really depends on the place. I've been on uh, in hot springs that are just mind-blowing uh one in the on the island of kyushu it's only accessible at low tide because the thermal water rises from the earth under the sea and then at hot mm-hmm. at low tide you can enter it and then you can jump from rocks into the cold sea swim around come back warm up again i've been in Hot springs on the side of rivers where you might do the same thing. I've been in hot springs surrounded by walls of snow where I'd warm up and then take the snow and rub it against my body. Oh, I love, love hot springs. Just thinking about it makes me feel good. <laughs> I'm ready to go jump in one myself. Yeah, they are. They're amazing. And they're really cheap. It's, it is amazing. There are community hot springs which are actually free, where the the community cleans them, prepares them, and there might be a little box outside where you can leave a donation for upkeep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beppu City in Kyushu, you can they have ones ranging from a hundred, well, free like the community, to about a hundred yen, so less than a dollar now, just dollar, up to maybe the most expensive I think I ever paid was. Where a hot spring was a really fancy hotel, probably about two thousand yen. Um, so about mm-hmm. right now, about say one th- uh, fifteen U.S. dollars, perhaps. Right. And some play- some real Japanese real kind of hotels, they have specials where you can eat an incredible lunch and go to the hot spring. It's together, and of course you can stay stay overnight, take a bath when you arrive relax, have another bath for dinner, <laughs> eat, an, eat an sumptuous meal, then have another bath, go to sleep, you know, wake up in the morning, different bath. 
there are so many different types. One's waterfalls and mud, baths, incredible. The variety is astounding. Yeah, it sounds like you could make a uh, tour of Japan just visiting different hot springs. Oh, yeah. There are thousands of hot springs. It, it, would, it would be impossible to visit everyone because you just won't have the time. And also, there will be some new new ones opening up. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, another uh, feature of your article, something that's very important to, to expats and even just traveling abroad, uh, you talked about the National Health Insurance program there and the the medical advances so you had some difficulty yourself but had a very good experience with the healthcare system um yes um i was diagnosed with throat cancer uh stage four and uh my my wife did some research and we found uh she searched for you know the hospital in japan that is has the you know has the best reputation for this particular type of cancer and right. I went there and it was it was great. I have friends in America and I talked to them about their experiences with medical care and it's just it's a world apart. I mean my my father had like a five way heart bypass operation years ago and I think he was only in the hospital for three days. But right. For that, you would, you would, they would let you stay for uh, I don't know how long, at very least one week, probably two weeks. No, yeah, the insurance companies in the U.S. don't want to pay for any extra days in the hospital if they can avoid it. Right, and there's no hassle with getting uh, permission from your insurance company to have some sort of a test or special treatment. My doctor said I, you know, you should get a PET scan. It was scheduled. Time was a long time ago. It might have been the next day, or definitely within three days at the most. I didn't have to talk to any insurance agents. Just between you and the doctors. Yes. I thought it was interesting. Also, that you you talked about how the emphasis is on wellness there. Oh yes, that definitely that. Um, in general, although things are changing, you have uh, the older generation sort of still follows the older Japanese. Um, eating habits, which are much healthier. Unfortunately, a lot of the younger people have sort of become addicted to the Western fast food diet. But there's still a lot of knowledge and uh, still a lot of restaurants that have really healthy meals for very cheap prices. And I thought it was also just charming that you said the local community really helped out during your hospitalization with uh, keeping your house running and keeping things going. Uh, back at home yeah that that was amazing actually at the time i didn't think so much about it um such things as like the college that i was working at you know basically they said don't worry greg you know just take care of your treatment and trying to remember for about half a year i didn't have any classes i had no work and then the second half after that i had one class maybe and i i normally have six or seven and have meetings they were really good i got my salary there's no no deduction nothing and then hmm. yeah people came my own oh, my landlord came in and she took photos of my dog and he made this like <laughs> uh, fo- a photo album for me to take to the hospital because she knows how much i love my dog 
and mm. uh you know a neighbor came and took care of the dog and it was great people were really good you know, i'm glad you had such a positive experience about that that can be a really scary thing to, to have to go through yeah yeah it was and actually i was supposed to say not only was the japanese were my japanese neighbors really good but also members of the uh, foreign community came out um i was mm. treated actually i left Niigata to go to the best hospital in japan for this particular cancer and that was actually in nagoya city and by coincidence i had lived in nagoya city when i first came to japan and i still knew some people there and some of those people heard about my illness and one person just wrote me said hey consider me your support team when you arrive i'll pick you up at the airport and take you there and he was so good you know and a, that's great and another person he's into um guided visualization and he would visit me in the hospital and you know do these self meditation techniques to make me feel better it sounds like it's really affordable as well now you you mentioned in the article you're described pretty lovely home uh that you're only paying the equivalent of about 600 a month uh, for rent there i know you've moved on from there but uh, in the article, you talked about how the prices of the home seem to be affected by youth moving out of the area and not enough people moving in. So it's very much a, a buyer's market. Oh, it is. Is that why you decided to move? Um, I decided to move for a couple of reasons. One is the the area where I was living in Igata was great when I was younger mm -hmm. uh, because I loved uh, winter and so on. But now, you know, I'm getting my 60s and my wife was having some joint problems and mm -hmm. I was having some little neck problems too. And so the cold was getting to us and we decided, okay, we'll move a little bit to a war little warmer area and then we can still go up in winter on short trips. And that's one reason. And her family is also in along the Pacific side, uh, close to Nagoya. So we wanted to visit them. And I still have friends in this area. But um, prices are re have stayed low, actually. Rent, I, for two reasons, I think. Until recently, there has been, basically, Japan has been in deflation. Hmm. So while America and Europe has been suffering from inflation and prices have been going up, Basically, the prices in Japan of most things stayed the same and until almost this year or last year, which I think inflation is now basically around the world. Um, so, but yeah, prices have stayed very low in Japan. Um, it used to be people would go come here to Japan and they'd say, oh, it's so expensive. You know, Tokyo used to be in the list of the world's most expensive cities often. But now my visitors from Europe and America, they come here and they're like, it's so cheap. So that's one of the reasons why um, property values have stayed low. And like you said, um, young people are moving out of the countryside into the big cities. And actually the population of Japan is decreasing. It's been decreasing by about a million people every year. I think I'd read something about that, yeah. And the uh, population is getting older. A lot of those people don't want to live in their homes anymore. They're vacating their homes, going to apartments. And, and there, so there are so many homes that are free now 
um, as in when nobody's there available and right. available for extremely low prices. Now, did you move into a, a single family home or are you in a condo situation? Actually, I moved into a condo. Um, we bought a condo. It is right on the beach. I can walk out of my the door of the building and be on a sandy beach within one minute. Mm -hmm. um, there's a Nordy farm right in front of my house, uh, in front of the building, in the, in the sea. Standing on my balconies, because actually we have the 10th floor and we have the 11th floor. I see SUP boarders, uh, windsurfers, uh, people fishing. I listen to the sound of the ocean before going to bed, and right. before going to sleep and waking up. It's there. And my mansion cost me probably the equivalent of 110000 US dollars. Wow. Sorry, when I said mansion, it's in Japanese. Sometimes I slipped into Japanese. Uh, <laughs> So and I put in maybe ten thousand dollars in you know repairs and fixing things up, but I put a little bit more in. But there's no way I could buy anything like this for a, a, at such a low price, right? In anywhere the, that I know of. No, not with a view of the Pacific and all that. So right, and I can still garden, keep a garden because uh, there are community gardens not very far away. Oh, that's nice. And hot springs as well. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you're going to have the hot springs nearby. Well, other than hot springs, uh, what would you say you like most about your life in Japan? Ah, I like, I like gardening. I like the safety. You know, I, I was just talking about that with one of my friends. She's from Texas. And we met at a writer's conference recently and we were talking about our return trips to America recently. I went to San Francisco and she went to Texas and we were just mentioned, we both of us agreed that when we're, unfortunately, when we're in areas of the U.S., we tend to be on heightened alert. You know, it was always like, what does this person possibly want from me? You know, or it looks a little bit scary and I just let my guard down a lot here in the in in japan you know uh, i can remember when i first came to japan i was really surprised because i would see people going to an atm and taking out like thousands of dollars and you know not hiding it or mm -hmm. well, get on the subway and i remember seeing like some very drunk salary man late at night and he was Maybe he was like counting his money, trying to figure out how much did I spend? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, he's doing this in the train at nighttime in front of everybody. And there's no problem. Yeah. It's amazing how uh, in the U S you're, you're pretty much bombarded with don't go to other countries because it's so dangerous. And when you travel, it seems more often to be the other way around. You know, you find that you're much more comfortable and relaxed in these other countries and in a lot less danger. Yes, definitely. Well, of course, it depends on the country that you're in. Sure. It's not a great time to be in Syria, I guess, but... Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I was in Abu Dhabi during uh, when 9-11 happened. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was that was pretty scary. That I was mean, a little I tense. Mint is an American. Right, yeah. 
But um, other places in the world, I have, I've, and I've been to about 25 countries. Can't remember. I mean, I have been alert and I have been scared a few times, some places, but mm-hmm. I definitely here in Japan, I feel I am much more relaxed. I'm very relaxed. Actually, I've lost things. I'm a really forgetful person. I have twice forgotten my computer on trains in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten them back. Yeah, that's 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 great. It's amazing. I have gotten yeah. other things, other places, and I almost always get them back. But now that you're uh, said you're, <clears throat> excuse me. Now that you're into your sixties and looking at retiring, uh, do you see your future still remaining in Japan? Probably. I um, my wife is interested in trying to find doing something like maybe half a year like in Malaysia or half a year maybe in the USA and then half back in Japan summers in Japan are very very hot and sweaty so actually uh humid so right. there there is a number of uh Japanese who actually do things like they go to Malaysia the mountains of Malaysia in, in during the hot season and then come back to Japan that's one idea. You know, having a pre-existing condition, um, I'm worried about losing my my money if I my savings if I were to get ill in the US. Right. And so staying here is uh is it seems like a good option. Definitely I want to keep that open for me. We've been talking with Greg Goodemacher about life in Japan and his September 2023 article, Roasted Barnacles and Healing Baths in Rural Niigata, Japan. Greg will be writing future articles for International Living, and you can read more about Greg and his love of hot springs at hotspringaddict.blogspot.com. Greg, thanks for taking the time to share with us today. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to make some comments or questions on the uh blog i'd be very happy to answer their questions or respond to their comments the international living podcast is a production of international living if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast please share it with others post about it on social media or leave a rating and review If you have an idea for an episode or a question you'd like us to answer, email us at mailbag at internationalliving.com. And don't forget to put podcast in the subject line of your email. That's mailbag at internationalliving.com. We created the International Living Podcast to help showcase the ideas we explore in the magazine and our other publications each month and to grow our community of travel lovers, expats, and experts who believe as we do that the world is full of opportunity to create a more interesting, more international life. You don't have to be rich and famous to do that. You just need to know the secrets. And that's what we bring you at International Living. If you haven't become a member yet, you can do it today with a special discount offer for podcast listeners. You'll receive our monthly magazine, plus a bundle of special extras. You'll find the link in our show notes, or you can go to intliving.com slash podcast. That's intliving.com slash podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll look at another often overlooked destination, Albania, and also find out how you can dance your way to better health in Mexico. 
Until then, this is Jim Santos for International Living reminding you there's a bigger, better world out there just waiting for you. Thank you.